Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Uh, so, uh, today's subtitle is called The Loneliness Trap. The Loneliness Trap. Who uh, knows what it's like to feel lonely? It's a, it's a very common and uh, less talked about than it probably should be because it's an extremely powerful source um, over us. Um, and I think, and I think psychologists would probably agree with me, that uh, loneliness is actually probably one of the biggest uh, problems of the time that we now live in. It's like an epidemic. Um, uh, some of the high-profile cases that we've seen recently are, are uh, Robin Williams uh, committed suicide. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, these were people that had it all, had the accolades, they had the fan base, they had the money, they had the connections, they had it all. They were even, uh, I know Robin Williams not sure about Philip Seymour Hoffman, but Robin Williams had uh, a, a good wife, lovely children. He left it all behind because of loneliness. Um, in the past, we've seen uh, people like Marilyn Monroe. It doesn't matter what your personality is. Loneliness is something that we humans are not given to cope too well with. Right? Agreed? So it's interesting also to note that Self-centeredness is actually on the rise. So on the rise of self-centeredness, as society becomes more self-centered, at the same time, the, the scale is showing a rise of loneliness. Interesting to note. There's a guy called Stephen March who wrote an article in Esquire about uh, loneliness. He wrote this. He said, within this world of instant and absolute communication, unbounded by limits of time or space, we suffer from unprecedented alienation. We have never been more detached from one another or lonelier. In a world consumed by even more novel models of socializing, we have less and less actual society. We live in an accelerating contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. Isn't that interesting? He goes on to write in another part of the article, being lonely is extremely bad for your health. If you're lonely, listen to this, you're more likely to be put in a geriatric home at an earlier age. Or if you live in India, uh, you may not go to a geriatric home, but you will be geriatric earlier, okay, in your family's home or whatever it is. Uh, so uh, you're more, more uh, than a similar person who isn't lonely. You're less likely to exercise you're more likely to be obese. You're less likely to survive a serious operation and more likely to have hormonal imbalances. You're at greater risk of inflammation. Your memory may be worse. You're more likely to, to be depressed. You sleep badly and to suffer dementia and general cognitive decline. Loneliness. It's pretty powerful stuff. It's like a silent killer almost, isn't it? Um, there's a guy called John uh, Capiccio, who was the who is the director for cognitive cognitive and social social neuroscience at the University of Chicago. Uh, he wrote a book uh, called Loneliness, um, and he revealed how the epidemic of loneliness is affecting the basic functions of human psychology. He found higher levels of epinephrine. The stress hormone in the morning urine of lonely people. So there's a stress hormone that appears in the morning urine, the first one of the day, that's released from the body. It's a stress hormone because of loneliness. Isn't that amazing? Loneliness burrows deep. He said this, When we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white cells, he writes, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way genes were being expressed. Loneliness not only affects the brain, then, 
but the basic process of DNA transcription. When you are lonely, your whole body's lonely. That's what he wrote. When you're lonely, your whole body's lonely with you. Loneliness is a powerful, powerful source. That's why this quote from Scripture makes a whole lot of sense. When, when God saw Adam, and I preached about this a few weeks ago, and he said, he said about Adam in Genesis 2 verse 18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. We weren't designed for loneliness. We weren't designed to be alone. We were designed to be together. That's why we do church. That's why we meet. It's not about just coming and listening to the sermon, although that's nice. I'm hoping you're having fun doing that. But, but really what is really going on here is the person next to you and how they're shaping your life. That's what it's really, really about. That's what church is actually about. I'm just here to teach you the Bible. You know, we can be married. We can have families, we can have great careers, we can have the accolades and we can have it all, but still we can actually ultimately at the depth of our heart be lonely. And today I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you, if that's okay, and share about myself um, because uh, <clears throat> I want to kind of just underline some of the mistakes I've made um, and to help you overcome loneliness if it is a problem in your world. And one of the greatest lessons that I've learned um, and I'm continuing to learn about, particularly about my marriage, is um, is on the subject of loneliness. Now, uh, this is not by any means Rachel's doing, but my own, where I found that even though Rachel and I have been together, I've felt lonely. Okay? Um, in this job that I have, being a pastor... Although I'm surrounded by people constantly, we have people in our house all the time or I'm going to someone's house all the time, I'm always around people, I can feel really, really lonely. Um, uh, in life, general, generally, loneliness, loneliness has been a really powerful force within my own personal life. And frankly, it scares me to death. Anybody else feel the same about when they're lonely? It's just like... There is nothing worse than loneliness. It brings about a, a certain kind of sadness in my soul that I can't really explain. And all I know is this is not good for me and I want to get out of it. Today, I want to talk to you about what my greatest cause of loneliness has been and how God has helped me with that and is continuing to help me walk through that. And I think it will help you. My own, I'll tell you what my, the cause has, has been and I'm going to explain it afterwards, but basically what has caused me to be lonely and what causes me to be lonely is, is, is two things, but the one thing I'm going to talk about, the first one is just general selfishness. That's a given. But the other one is uh, my, my own self-righteousness. I'm going to explain how, but my own self-righteousness when I say self-righteousness, I'm going to explain what I mean by that with some other sort of explanations. I, you could explain it by self-defined correctness, where I'm correct based on what I believe correct is, okay? Or my self-declared innocence, where I'm innocent based on what I think, okay? Then self-righteousness, where my status uh, is based on an assessment on myself, based on what I think. Or my ability is based on uh, some sort of validation that's grounded within my own achievements. Okay? Did that make sense? Okay, good. I, I don't know if I made sense then. I just heard that come out of my mouth. And I, thought, I hope that made sense. I think it did. Self-righteousness expresses itself in two ways. In front of God and in front of people. And they're both, they're both interlinked. You can't separate the two. Uh, see, before God, rather than trusting and believing in Him, relying upon Him, that He has justified me because of His work on the cross, and that He is walking with me, purifying me day by day, sanctifying me, and making me more like Him, I believed in my own efforts to justify myself. Things like how long I would pray for. 
Things like the size and effectiveness of my ministry. Things like that. My ability to abstain from sin and overcome it. All of these sorts of things where I would be looking at all of those things as my validation, as my source of righteousness. But they are all works of my own hands. So I would present God with my list of all the good things that I've done. But not knowing that that list was actually separating me from Him. Because there's nothing that I can do to please God. There's nothing I can do to get His justification. Because He is perfect and I am imperfect. Now before people, self-righteousness comes out in a different way. In disagreements and conflicts, my, my rightness is, was, was self-defined. I was right based on what my brain thinks right is. It's not surrendered to God, so I would always have to find a way to be right. Because if I'm right, well then that would mean, if I'm not right, then I would be wrong. And if I'm wrong, then who am I? What kind of person am I? Where's my validation going to come from if I'm wrong? Sorry would be an admission to be wrong. So, it's very hard for me to say sorry. Another way self-righteousness would express itself in me was in my status. I grew up a pastor's son. My dad was a pastor since I was five years old. He had a church up in the northwest of Broome that had like it broke out in a revival. There was people getting coming to the Lord and coming to know Jesus left, right and center, coming through my house all the time. Um, and then he moved and got employed in a big church in, a, in Perth in Australia and uh, did really well with that. And then he went on and um, uh, started the church that he now runs. And I was I grew up with that environment. Now, now, pastor's kids, both Rachel and I are pastor's kids. We are a special breed of person because we grow up um, knowing things about people that we really shouldn't know. So Rachel and I both know now with our kids that we have to talk in code about people if we ever talk about them because otherwise they're going to know all sorts of things that they shouldn't know. I knew everything about everyone within my church. That produces a pretty weird sort of kid who looks at you very judgmentally when he shouldn't be. He shouldn't know the things he knows. Um, so, you know, I, I, I grew up with this sense of kind of I'm better than you because I'm a pastor's kid. I'm just, I told you I was going to be vulnerable. For the sake of you, not for the sake of me. I, I don't need to be vulnerable so much with you. But see, the reason I want to be vulnerable with you is because uh, one of my jobs I know um, that as a pastor to do is actually to lead you in repentance, to show you what, it, what it's like to be a repentant person. Um, so that, that requires me to be vulnerable, unfortunately. But yeah, I, it took me a long time. People would know this about me. Oh, that Ryan within my church back home in Australia. You know, he, he knows he's the pastor's son and he's going to let me know that he is. And I did. I did because my, my righteousness was based on my status. And that can come out in different ways for us all. And, and it was also based on what I could do. You see, as I grew up in church and, and um, uh, I, I guess there was a call and uh, people could see that I had a calling to be a pastor also, I would pray for people and they would get healed. I would preach and people would be sitting there crying. Um, you know, our lives were getting changed. People were seeing God move in their, in their lives like they'd never seen before. Now, I saw that as a work of my hands, as my own justification. They say, see, God, I'm pretty awesome. People have gotten healed, you know. When I preach, like... The old lady up the back, she cries every time. She tells me how great I am. She's told me how I'm better than my dad at preaching. I'm amazing, God. I'm amazing, God. It's all self-righteousness. All these things that gave me a sense of validation that didn't come from God, but from what I had achieved. Okay, so this caused a separation from with me between God and myself and also 
from people and myself. See, when I would sin, I would think it was a matter of just trying harder rather than relying on Him and having faith and dependence on Him to overcome the sin of my life. You see, our, our relationship with God is meant to be based on faith in Him, dependence. It's simple. That's it. There's no other complexity about it. Our relationship with Him is, is really just the giving over of our will to Him and saying, you know what, I'm going to be dependent on you from now on. And here on in, you're going to be my leader and I'm going to follow you. That's it. There's nothing else to it. So when we fail and trip up along the way, He picks us up and we keep walking with Him. That's our walk with the Lord. So, But my walk wasn't like that. So my relationship with God was always up and down according to my own behavior, you see. Now this caused some spiritual loneliness. There'd be moments where I'd be doing well, I'd be getting up, praying in the morning, reading my Bible, doing all the things that you're supposed to do, and I would do them, I'd be feeling great about my walk with God. But then I'd, I'd have a late night or something bad had happened or whatever. I'm not praying and I'm not, I'm not reading my Bible in the morning. And then my spiritual spiritual loneliness meter is starting to go up where I feel separate from God. But see, the thing is, is what I didn't understand, what the Bible says is I've been justified. It ain't determined by my own behavior. We can, we can walk into His presence because it's all been finished. It's not based on anything we have to do or we can do. It's all based on whether or not we know that and believe it and just walk in. Spiritual loneliness. But this also caused separation between people and myself. I would, I would build barriers between myself and others, built upon my own definition of what right was. I would see myself as better than them, or somehow higher than them based on my own assessment. I would look at their wrongs more than look at my own. And I would say the problem with the relationship is kind of me, but it's more like it's you. I would always want to prove how right I was through advice, through what I could do, through who I was, what kind of status I had in the church, through what I had achieved. Relationships at that point in time seem more based on me showing and proving myself to others as a good person than anything else. That's all relationships were. I was either trying to prove myself or get someone's approval. And you know what ends up when you're like that, when you're always just trying to either prove yourself or get someone's approval? You end up lonely. You end up lonely. And that's what happened to me. I ended up lonely. I would be with people and always feel slightly estranged, slightly alienated, slightly out of the picture not realizing that it's really just me that's putting myself out there. It's not anything else that anybody else has done. You understand? I was always out to prove to those whom I felt better than. I want to prove myself to them and threatened by those whom I thought were better than me. Ever felt that before? So, self-declared righteousness or rightness causes loneliness. It causes loneliness. I know this from my own personal experience because we're always trying to prove or gain approval in all of our relationships. Now in my marriage, in my closest relationship, with my beautiful wife Rachel, this caused a real problem because rather than resting and enjoying the helpmate that God had given me, the beautiful woman that Rachel is, I would naturally go out to either prove myself to her or gain her approval based on the whatever the, the current circumstances were or what the conversation was. It would, it would change all the time. It caused division, even within our marriage. So, there's a good question if you're married or if you're thinking about one day getting married. How are you seeing that person? Are you trying to prove yourself to them or are you trying to gain their approval? It's a good question to ask. If you are, it will bring about 
a sense of loneliness that you can't overcome except by knowing that we are approved already by God. So there's a scripture that I'm going to take you through where it kind of talks about this in a different sort of way. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. Now the Ephesian church, it's a letter to the church by a guy called Paul. Um, and uh, within that church, there was a, a, a lot of um, Jews that were, were coming to know Christ. And there was also a lot of Gentiles who were like Gentiles were Romans and whatever else who were around that were basically non-Jews. They would call them Gentiles. Um, now the Jews, uh, the Jews. Uh, I mean, Jesus himself was a Jew, right? So the Jews kind of considered themselves at times to be more holy, and they called themselves the people of the circumcision. So they would say, "We've been circumcised according to the old law, so we are more holy than those Gentiles that are coming in." So it caused. A bit of a problem but what you got to understand about what they were doing at that point in time it was a self-assessed righteousness based on what they had done you understand yeah. it's another form of self-righteousness where based on what they had done not what Christ had done was what they thought would make them more holy than the Gentiles and so just imagine within this church there's two groups of people one group who have come in uh, who never knew Christ at all, and then those who kind of had an idea of God and the concept of who He was and that He would send a Messiah and all of that, and they begin to say to the, to the ones that come into the church, uh, listen, we're more holy than you because we, uh, we knew first. That's basically what they were doing. Could you imagine what kind of church this would be if that was the case? I wouldn't want to come. So, But this is what was happening in the church of Ephesus. So Paul writes this letter and he begins to teach them about, uh, about Christ and the work of Christ and how it actually gives no one any standing to be better than another person. Okay, so he says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcisions, the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. Now that's important. For he himself, I just want you to hear this, he himself is our peace, nothing else. He himself is our peace, peace, peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. What was the barrier? What was the barrier? Self-righteousness. Self-attested righteousness. Self-righteousness causes loneliness. It causes barriers. It causes walls to go up amongst a church of people that aren't meant to have barriers and walls between each other. The dividing wall of hostility. Where was I? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulation, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The same peace, the same message, whether you were far or whether you were near, it really makes no difference. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, doesn't matter what culture you're from, doesn't matter. He preaches the same peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to, to those who were near. Did I read that already? Sorry. Sorry. 
For, uh, where was I? Let's go to 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I just wanted to read that first, that last bit there in verse 21. In him, the whole building is, what's that word say? Joined. There's no isolation. There's no person out there kind of by themselves, but we're actually joined together. And as we're joined together, it says there that we rise to become a holy temple to the Lord. Together we rise. Together we rise. That's what the church is all about. It's all about together we rise. And we're being built together. In other words, it's an ongoing sort of transformation that's happening together, not alone. Not alone. We become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. See Christ by His blood poured out and His sacrifice for our sins brought both the Jew and the Gentile near in the same way. Through the sacrifice, He destroys the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, which was based upon one's actions compared to the other. His Holy Spirit was poured out as a gift for anyone who believes and follows, given without favor to anybody. So both Jew and Gentile could have access to the Father by one Spirit. In Christ, the picture is through Him. We are building, we are building all together built together, being a dwelling place together for the Spirit of God. Now the point of showing you this scripture was this. The wall of hostility dividing the Jews and the Gentiles was based on self-attested righteousness. Based on human effort rather than what Christ had done. Self-righteousness causes division. And in effect causes loneliness. Now, we may not have the same problem as these guys. We may not. We don't have, I don't, oh, we might have some, I think we've got some Jewish descendants. I think we do have a Jew around the place somewhere. Yeah, there we are, we have one. And also his mother is up the back there. We've got some Jews here. Gentiles, I don't know. Yeah, see, it's begun. The dividing wall just went up. I'm better than you. <laughs> self-righteousness still exists, though, within our church. Within any church, with any group of people, self-righteousness is there. Just in different forms. And it has the same effect as it did in Paul's day today. The same effect. It divides. It brings differences. People begin to judge one another. It kills true community and it causes loneliness. Now self-righteousness is basically simply just this, the, the ignorance of our own unrighteousness. And we get ourselves into a false reality that we can look down on others and isolate ourselves from others based on our behavior and what we do. Okay? Now, when we are self-righteous, what we begin to do is all of our relationships are conducted from almost like a mountain. I'm going to call it the lonely mountain. The lonely mountain. The lonely mountain is that mountain that you sit upon that nobody else is holy enough to get up to based on your own assessment. No one else is really good enough to be on that mountain with you based on what you think is right and wrong. But it's a lonely mountain. Nobody joins you because nobody else is worthy to be there. Now, we might reach down from our mountain and help those around us. We may give people certain access to our world. We may have a healthy social life. We may not look lonely. But strip back all the things that we use as a sign to ourselves that we are okay and that our self-attested righteousness and our rightness is intact if you strip all those things back see we use all sorts of things as, as a validation for our own self-rightness 
things like monetary worth, things like career advancement, things like social life, an invitation to in-crowd kind of events or accolades for our work or connections and who we associate with. We can even be marriage that we use as a, as a validation. It can be people who need us, you know, people who need our advice, who we love giving our advice to. Uh, children, it can be children, it can be success. These are all good things, actually. All good things. I love them. I, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with any, any of them and I don't want to demonize anything. But as soon as they become our validation and our reward and proof to us that we are better than others, there's a problem. We've become self-righteous and we're living on a very, very lonely mountain because we're the only ones that are worthy to sit up on that mountain. There's the proof. We say, oh, we're better than that other person. That's when that causing, that, that's the same thing begins. The walls start to go up. The same wall that was up in the church in Ephesus, Ephesus 2,000 years ago will come up in our church. It'll be there. They thought they were better simply based upon something that they were doing. That's it. Just like we can get into that place where we think we're better, simply based on something that, not anything to do with God, just something that we're doing. You understand? Now I'm telling you, I'm, the reason I started off vulnerable and, and saying to you, listen, I've been there and I still need God to sanctify me from this. I can still step into this very easily. Is for this purpose. I don't want this to be a heavy sermon where you're like, go away from feeling like a bad person. I struggle with this as much as anybody else, and I just know the effects. My job is here to set you free if you've if you've been a part of this from the loneliness that it causes. Hmm? We don't practice circumcision anymore, but we can certainly think we are better than better than others based on what we're doing and the results that we're getting. But ultimately, this causes loneliness. When a person who comes along, who is seemingly more advanced in the areas that we are getting our approval from, they come along, we are automatically going to be threatened by them. And we'll begin to look for holes and flaws within their character so we can justify our positions. And when a person comes along who we feel better than, we'll quickly show them that we know more and that they should listen to us. See, that's that cycle of trying to prove ourselves. We're either trying to prove ourselves or we're trying to get someone's approval. Lonely mountain. We're either trying to prove that, our, that what we're doing is correct and that we are right or we're trying to get someone's approval that what we're doing is right and correct. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14 says this. It's a parable, one of Jesus' parables. You may have heard it before. It's a very popular one. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. <laughs> I love that prayer. I am just so much better than them. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this, uh, you see him, God? Over there, the tax collector. Even like him. I wasn't pointing at you, Sam, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> then the, the, this guy goes on to talk about all the things that he does I fast twice a week not once did I happen to mention I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get a tenth that's a tithe that means he would give of his income a tenth to the temple. Which isn't a bad thing, but it is when you begin to use that as your validation and your righteousness. It's all based on what he was doing. That was his justification. But then Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A simple acknowledgement of his unrighteousness that actually led him to justification because Jesus said about the second man, he said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who was the lonely one in this story? The tax collector, the one who was busy up on his little mountain where nobody else could join him. He put himself up there. He put himself up there. There's a danger that we all can have when we become self-righteous. When we begin to attest our own righteousness, you'll find that we are the only ones up on that hill. Nobody else can join us because they won't be good enough. The Pharisee was on Lonely Mountain because he was the only one worthy to be there. But God, you see, he levels Lonely Mountain. He levels it out. And he makes it all one big playing field. That's why he said in, uh, in, the, in the first scripture that I showed you in Ephesians 22 verse 22, it says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's it. It's just there ain't no ups and downs. There's no kind of more equal people in the kingdom of God. There really isn't. Even pastors and all of those sorts of things. Yes, I think pastors and all do have at times I've seen some some guys around the world who I, I don't know how they do what they do in terms of the anointing that is upon them. But they aren't any more equal than the person who's just gotten saved yesterday. They're really not. They're really not in God's economy. It's all that we are being built together and each needs their each other in order to exist for the building to stand tall as it is. And when the ground is level the loneliness is overcome because ultimately the things that we use uh, uh, as walls that that we hide behind to shield uh, from the world our true selves and our true sin. You know, today we use this complex patchwork of success and uh, achievements and, and advancement and we use all of these things to cover our hearts without knowing that when we become that person, when we become that person that says, thank God I'm, I'm not like them, at least I do this or at least I do that or at least I've got this going for me and, and you say, look at all my achievements and look at all that I, ha- that I am and look at all that I have, surely God has favored me over everybody else because my success is in these areas and sadly, these friendships that we might have actually just become opportunities for us to either show off what we have or try to prove to someone what we have. We end up lonely. I know. I know. I'm telling you. I know what it is. I'm not here standing before you preaching, thou shalt not. I'm just preaching it because I know I've done it. I've done it. And I've gone home and sat and wondered, why am I so lonely? Because all of my relationships are about approval or proving. Approval or proving, nothing else. But when God levels it and he says, no, no, hold on a sec, Rhino. I did it. I did it. Stop trying to prove yourself. Your justification, your validation, it's all in me. I've adopted you into my family. You're my son, Ryan. Or If you're a girl, you know, you're my daughter. Why are you trying to prove yourself to everybody when I've done it all for you? Your righteousness doesn't come from you. It comes from heaven. It comes from God himself as a gift, as a free gift of his love and his mercy for you and each person. See, when you begin to realize that, friendships actually become friendships. Marriages actually become healthier. 
conflict becomes not so much as a life-stopping event, but you get through it because no longer are you trying to be right all the time. When we're in a cycle of proving and trying to get approval, we're ultimately alone. The common ground that we stand on is in Him. That's what unites us in His grace. It breaks the walls that divide our relationships, whether close or distant. We realize that our self-righteousness is worth nothing and His love is all there is. We stand united because He is the ultimate truth that we all submit to. And rather than acting out on our own will, which is tainted and often heavily influenced by our own sinful nature, we act out of His grace. And we act out of the love poured out freely for us, regardless of who we are, what we've done, and what we've become. But it all starts with the acknowledgement that we need Him. It all starts with the acknowledgement that that His will is greater than ours, that our will is tainted by sin. And it, it, it all starts with a vulnerability. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I read out once in Connect Group. I want to read it to you again. It says this, it says, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perfect perpetations of love is hell lonely mountain lonely mountain and I tell you the route to lonely mountain is self-righteousness because you'll put yourself in a place where nobody else is holy enough to join you I've been there thankfully God got me down from that hill when he began to show me that I was a sinner I needed him and he loved me so much that he died for me my whole walk is just based on that. And the fact is, the heart of God is that He doesn't want anybody on that mountain because He knows where that eventually ends up. You stay isolated from God for long enough, when this body gives up, you remain isolated from Him. We remain isolated from God when our righteousness is self-attested. Psalm 68, verse 4 to 6, it says this. It says, sing to God. Sing in praise of His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before Him. His name is the Lord, a Father to the fatherless. Isn't that beautiful? A Father to the fatherless. A Defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling and I love this this is one of my favorite psalms God sets the lonely into families God sets the lonely into families he leads out the prisoners you hear that the prisoners of that lonely mountain he leads out the prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. At the end of the day, the purpose of this sermon, the purpose of what God did, is to set us all into a family. What this church is actually meant to be is a family. What this church actually is, is a family. And, you know, the funny thing is, is you can't choose your family. Even within this church. When Rachel and I came to this city, we had no idea that you guys would be a part of this church. No idea. I, I did. I, I closed my eyes and I said, Lord, I just want a big church. That's all. I just... Thousands, Lord. Give me thousands. 
I still pray that because there's a lot of people in this city and we need lots of people to get saved. But, but as I'm kind of maturing as a pastor and growing, I'm, I'm realizing that this is, this is more than just a, a church that's there. You know, it's a family where each one is built together, where all things, you know, in, I, I grew up, I, I was a, a part of a large family. I, I, um, I've got four, I got three sisters and a brother. Three sisters. I was the oldest. Fortunately, I wasn't the youngest. Oh, I was the experiment. You know, my parents did a fantastic job in case they listen to this. <laughs> Within a family, um, families are crazy, man. Who loves family? Who who's a family kind of? But family is where it all like kind of comes out. <laughs> There's no hiding from your family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your brothers, your sisters, they know everything about you. They, they know. They know what gets up, you upset and they annoy you because they know what's going to get you upset. <laughs> my sisters, I used to watch my sisters steal each other's clothes. And the fights, what amazing, like Diwali fights. <laughs> you stole my lipstick. <laughs> used all my dress. Yeah, no, I stole my sister's dresses all the time. No, just joking. I did not. Even with my parents, you know, um, as you grow older, you begin to realize, oh, my parents are human beings, you know, they, they make mistakes also. And uh, teenage years is, is the is the is the years where you point all out their mistakes, right? Where you tell your parents all the things that if you were a parent you would do better. I remember thinking I'm I, I actually think I wrote down a couple of things. I'm like, when I'm a parent, I'm gonna I wrote this down in my diary. I'm gonna not do this and not do that because I just know better. Families are like that. Families are meant to be all kind of um, mixed up, but the moment. Us as a church family, uh, we become self-righteous. Uh, it, it doesn't work. It's like a cog just clicks out of gear and, and it just doesn't work anymore. It's like the, the redemptive, kind of loving, accepting uh, place where you can just be yourself no longer is that but it becomes a place where everybody's kind of proving it to each other who they are, what they've got, and what they do. and uh, It doesn't work. Um, you know, uh, the sad thing is, is um, we could probably continue to grow numerically as a church um, with that culture in, like, of, of self-righteousness and people just sort of holding on to their thing. But I don't, I don't want to leave that kind of church, really. I want a true family. I really do. That's my heart is to have a true family because I know that we all actually need it. Um, and, and, and I know that it's, it's redemptive for us. It, it helps us to grow as we know people who know us who really know us and still love us. You know? That's powerful. And as, as new people come in, and and they're like, wow, you guys are so open and so loving and so accepting, and and then they bring in their junk. You know, as we get to know them, they're not sort of ostracized as a result, but they're actually like helped and loved because we know that they've become our brothers and they've become our sisters and they've become our mothers and our fathers and uncles and aunties, and this thing just grows into something that is so beautiful, so beautiful. That's the kind of church I think that, that we should be. And I think that's the kind of church that God actually purposed for us, built together as one spiritual house where God's power rests, where we meet on a Sunday and the power of God is there because it's a bunch of people that sing, not because we're trying to prove anything, but just because He set us free.
together. And because together we're growing. That's why we do connect groups. I, I want to do connect groups all over the city. Not because, like, you know, because I want to prove something that I can or whatever, although it's kind of there. But, but the purpose behind it is, because I know the power, is we just set up little family units all over the city that God will set the lonely into families. He'll just do it. He'll bring in the lost. He'll bring in people who, who need Him so badly, who are up on that mountain and don't know why they're so sad, don't know why they're so lonely, don't know why they've got all that they've got. And I mean, I mean amongst our society, the, the kind of the, the crowd that we are, I've, I've ne- not met as many lonely people as I have met in the last two, three years, as I've just networked and gotten around. And these people are people with money. They don't have financial needs. They don't have the needs that maybe others in this city have, but they're still in poverty in other ways. And the biggest way is this loneliness deal. It's a big deal. That we in a church, as a church, can actually be a, a light to a city as we begin to realize that the most powerful thing that we can do is give up our own self-righteousness and accept His. We give up our own brokenness, our own stuff, and say, you know what, I, I don't have it all together, but He does, and I only have it together because He's given it to me. Simply that, people will come in and say, you know what, I'm broken. You know what, I'm so lonely and I don't know why. And we'll say, we know why. I'm going to help you. Here's my friend Jesus. Invite Him into your life. Holy Spirit, invite Him into your world. He's going to guide you. He's going to love you. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi. 